Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative this Thursday morning. It's hot this morning and the sun is up in the D.C. area, and we're glad for it. This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, planning and launching a cooperatively owned business or converting a privately held business to owned by the employees. And we have Miss Naomi Ginspence on the line. Good morning, Naomi. Oh, sorry. Hi, Vernon. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing this morning? I thought we had lost I'm you. well. Good, good. No, I was just on mute, but here I am. All right. So you were on once before, and I had a great time talking to you. So tell me a little bit about your organization and what you guys are doing. Sure. The Cooperative Development Institute is a nonprofit organization that has been around since 1994, helping over 130 cooperatively organized organizations get going. And we work in a lot of different sectors. We work with farmers and fishermen, a forestry, a consumer food co-ops, a lot of resident-owned co-ops, and uh, worker co-ops. So we're, we're really in several different fields. And we also uh, work with artists who are getting together to put a a cooperatively owned gallery or uh, worker owned festival planning, all sorts of things. So we really get a lot of different uh, types of organizations that ask for our help. Great. I think it's a great time to talk about the definition of co-ops, at least the one I've developed in, on this program. It's a cooperative can be any business you can think of. There's basically four types. The first one is if it's owned by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative, mm-hmm. and that's why any business could be owned by the, by the employees. And secondly, if it is owned by the people that buys or use the services of the business, then it's called a consumer cooperative. And mostly mm-hmm. we think of credit unions and housing co-ops, and they're the consumer cooperative in Madison that's a clinic, a health clinic, is owned by the patients, owned and controlled. Mm-hmm. So it's any time a business, and there's REI that just put in a a store here in the D.C. area, right here in D.C. particularly, that's owned by the people that buys outdoor equipment, uh, hiking and Correct. mountain climbing yep. and so forth. So those are the two of them. And then you've got other two of them, and mostly farmers and artists are in these two. And that is if... People come together to buy the products that they need in their business. It's called a purchasing cooperative. And when Naomi said that they were working with farmers and fishermen and forestry, perhaps those could be on that end of it. And consumer co-ops, I miss food co-ops. Food co-ops can be a consumer co-op or an employee co-op and a hybrid. It could be both. So 
That's right. You got the purchasing co-ops on one side of a business. The farm farmers come together and they buy the seed or the fertilizer or gas or whatever they need to to produce. And then on the other side of it, they are members of a marketing cooperative. And the marketing cooperative markets the products. So that leaves the farmer the time to produce, okay, and not have to worry so much about purchasing or marketing. And we get Lando Lakes on the marketing side, Cabot Creamery, Cabot Cheese. So we get a lot of people coming together. And Naomi, there's a group here in D.C. that's called uh, CPA, Consumer Purchasing Alliance. And they came Mm. together with churches and nonprofits so that they could buy whatever they need, like gas or solar power, um, copier machines, trash hauling. And they found out, particularly with churches, they were getting uh, ripped off by vendors because they may have a volunteer coming in doing a contract with the with the trash company. And, and the churches were paying like twice as much as other people were paying for their trash. Wow. So they saved a lot of money by g- coming in and this CPA, this purchasing group, would do the contracts and they have the expertise with the vendors and then allow their members to join in and buy their services from them. And they've saved their, um, the other group is the charter schools who similarly don't have the expertise necessary to buy these, these different products. So they've saved a lot of money and they want to go national. Um, I know you may know Paul Hazen. He's been a part of the development of this company here in DC. That's fantastic. For everybody out there, uh, Noemi is working with all of these when she when she said farmers and forestry and food and resident owned, I assume that's housing co-ops, worker owned. That's and right. The, the artists are coming together too and buying warehouses space together so they can uh, share their space and then they, they will have showings together and sell their products. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a lot of examples. Okay. So that's what you do. hundred and 30 of these since 94. That's, That's 20, 23 years. Wow. How long have you been with Cooperative so I've Business been with CDI. I've been with the Cooperative Development Institute coming up on eight years in the fall. Yeah, and uh, we've really grown. We're up to 18 staff people now. 18? That's One right. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, we, we still see strong demand. People are really looking for cooperative solutions for all types of different situations. And, you know, we think co-ops have a lot to offer. Well, I do too. And that's why I'm on this program to let people know about it. And uh, that's why National Co-op Bank is sponsoring it because this, it just can solve community problems. People coming Fantastic. together and solving them. So what are some of the kind of projects you're working on now? So one of the projects we're working on that's a sort of a a new area that we're exploring is bringing together resources for starting co-ops that would be particularly targeted at uh, artists, artisans, all kinds of creative types. And we see this need because there are toolboxes that are available for a lot of different types of co-ops. So if you go looking for how do you start a worker co-op or how do you start a housing co-op or how do you start a consumer food co-op, you'll actually find some really well thought out, well presented 
you know, step-by-step advice that's particular to those sectors. And there are associations. If you want to start a credit union, you know, there's a national federation uh, and all sorts of support associations. But artist co-ops are less well-developed as their own sort of sector. And part of the reason is that artist co-ops are actually like every type of co-op. So that's that's true as well as, as for farmers. You were mentioning that farmers might get together, and on the one end they might purchase things together like gas or seeds or fertilizer. On the other end, they might market together, you know, create a, a branded product and find buyers for it. Um, but you also, especially in very rural areas, you'll see farmer co-ops that will really do kind of everything. They'll run a gas station. They'll help their members, you know, buy a movie theater and run it cooperatively. So it's really sort of um, everything co-op, which goes really well with the name of your show. And I think similarly for artist co-ops, you know, artist co-op, all it tells you is who's in it, but it doesn't tell you what it does. Because an artist co-op might be for purchasing materials. Maybe a bunch of painters get together and they get a better price on their paint. Or like you were saying, they share space. They have a warehouse space that they can use as studio space or gallery space. Or they... Um, they market together. They have a, somebody who will, uh, for a, a bunch of musicians, will book their gigs and make sure that everything is set up. So there's a lot of different ways that a co-op can be beneficial to artists, including things like, um, you know, what we could think of as a, a regular housing co-op or a consumer food co-op. They can be particularly geared for artists. Um, in housing co-ops, for example, one of the issues that artists face is that they have very irregular income. So if there was a housing co-op that understood the way artists get their income and how it comes in big lumps, you know, here and then like oh, uh, not so much there, they could, you know, make their decisions on whether somebody can come into the housing co-op based on, you know, how regularly do they make their payments, not so much on, you know, a regular paycheck, which they may or not get, may or may not get. Um, I, I like to point to the example that's very near DC, uh, the Glut Food Co-op, G-L-U-T. Um, it's not a particularly artist uh, food co-op, but there's a lot of artists who live in that neighborhood, and they benefit from having a food co-op that's set up where you can work at the food co-op and get a discount. Hold on, uh, so they're... No, I mean, yeah. we've got to take our first break, and I want to come back and pick up where we're talking now, because I like the Glut Food Co-op. It's great, great food and great prices and great people in there. But mm -hmm. we've got to take our first break, so please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. WOL is a great partner for everything cooperative. This is Vernon Oaks. Because it's a great partner because 
what he, what he just said, information is power. And the National Corporate Bank is sponsoring this program to give you the information about cooperatives. The power comes there when you use the information. And you could get in touch with Noemi and the Corporate Development Institute if you want to start a cooperative. Now, it looks like any type. Uh, we're talking about artist co-ops right now. Noemi, how can one get a hold of you or your organization? Sure. Well, we're on the web at CDI, that stands for Cooperative Development Institute, dot C-O-O-P, dot co-op. And if you want to email us, the easiest way is info, I-N-F-O, at C-D-I dot co-op. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, you were talking about Glut and how artists around there would work in this co-op um, and so they can have some income. Well, I don't think there's anything perhaps more cyclical income-wise than artists. They they do a gig and they have a, hopefully a bundle of money, and then when they're not working, they have no money. Um, so it's an up and down kind of thing. And of course, once you get really really big, you may have royalties and things coming in all the time. But most artists don't get really really big. So this is great talking about how to where co-ops can help the artists. So you want to yeah, keep talking so about that? Yeah, so the way we think about it is that co-ops can help artists do three things. They can help artists do their craft, pursue their passion. So that's studio space, it's practice space, it's materials, it's all of the things that help an artist pursue their passion. And this might even apply to people who do it amateur. You know, maybe they just need access to a dark room. They're not a professional photographer, but they love photography. So that's one way that cooperatives can help artists is by helping them pursue their passion. A second way is by helping them earn a living. And, you know, a lot of artists want to earn a living from their art. So all of, you know, whether it's a gallery or performance space, an online store, or um, the shared services we were talking about, the marketing, um, a platform. There's a new platform cooperative called Stocksy. It's owned by photographers, and instead of buying your stock photography from iStock or one of those places, you can go to Stocksy and you know search a bunch of photos, and the platform is owned by the artists themselves. So you know that's a new type of way for photographers to make a living. Um, and then the third way, besides doing your art and earning a living, is what we've been talking about, just living your life. So having a place to live, having food, um, being able to exchange services. So even having sort of an hour exchange where you can have one person babysit and somebody else, you know, do the shopping or something like that. So, um, and actually my... My favorite way that living your life sort of ties in with artist co-ops is I've noticed that a number of worker co-ops are set up in such a way that the members of the worker co-op can actually uh, work and earn a living by doing something other than their art and leave themselves enough time and energy to do their art. So there's an interpreter's co-op that's based in New York called Caracol. And they do um, 
you know, conferences and meetings and all sorts of situations where people speak different languages and they interpret live so, you know, everybody can follow along. And that's their way of earning a living. But because it's flexible, because it's part-time, the people who are in it can pursue their filmmaking, musician, you know, uh, artist, painter, all different kinds of passions that their their work allows time for. How do you spell so, it? How do you spell that? Caracol is C-A-R-A-C-O-L. And in fact, um, at a recent conference, I met a member of the Tight Shift Laboring Co-op, which I think is based in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned this idea to him, and he said, that's exactly right. Um, I'm an artist, too. I'm a singer. And because I can control my hours and you know when I do the work, I'm able to have time to to sing and pursue that passion as well. So, and I've used Tight Shift. I, as you know, I do property management; it's my day job, mm-hmm. and I've used Tight Shift a cleaning of of um, some of the properties. Uh, and yeah, and you might not have thought of Tight Shift as an artist co-op. No, but if you ask the <laughs> I members, did, I still didn't know. If that. you ask the members, they will might think of themselves as artists who are doing you know, property maintenance work so that they can have time to pursue their art. Yes. And it is flexible. They come in and clean whenever it's on. They just have to let us know when they're coming so we can let the, the property right. properties know. Yeah, it works. It mm-hmm. works. Yeah, so those are the ways that we see cooperatives really work, working for artists and, and helping them do what they need to do. And, uh, you know, whether it's, shared spaces or shared purchasing, you know, there's a lot of different ways of shared work. And I would love to see some new types of cooperatives form for artists. Um, We talked about the ups and downs of income. In other countries, they actually have cooperatives that are set up in such a way that if you join them and you have like a certain history of, of income, you know, even if it's up and down, up and down, they can help you smooth your income so that you have sort of a more regular income. And, you know, they'll take a percentage of what you have coming in, but they'll make sure that you have smooth income. That might be something interesting for, for some people if if the up and down is really causing problems for them. Um, another thing that I've really been intrigued about is whether any insurance companies could help out with uh, event insurance or workers' comp because these types of insurance things, you know, they're terribly boring. Most artists don't want to deal with them, but they can hang up uh, an effort that you're trying to do, whether it's, you know, do performances or, you know, have concerts or whatever it is. Sometimes the insurance really gets in the way, like a venue won't let you do it unless you bring your own insurance. And one thing that I've actually been hoping we could try to help form is perhaps a, a network of providers who could, you know, be the lawyers, the marketers, uh, the accountants, yeah, the organizational development people who could help artists with their co-ops because 
some artists are, are very well organized and don't mind doing bureaucratic stuff. And other artists are really allergic to all that kind of thing. Those are the only um, artists I've met are the ones that are allergic to doing the administrative <laughs> kind of things. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, they shouldn't suffer for that because we still love them. They still do great art. And why should they be... Uh, ripped off or just, you know, disorganized because they can't really pay any attention to that. I'd, I'd love to see a, a consortium get together and say, we are service providers. We love artists. We're not going to rip them off. We're going to form ourselves into a cooperative structure where the artists have influence and control. You know, maybe it would be an REI type thing. Who knows? And we would be at the service of the artists and providing all of their legal, marketing, accounting, organizational development needs. Um, so this is a, a dream that I have, that bit by bit we're starting to uh, pull some people together. No, but, no, it, no, yeah. I mean, are you an artist? Is that where your dream Am I an artist? came from? Yes. You know, I'm not. I enjoy other people's art, but I'm, I'm really not musical. Uh, I can't really draw very well. Can't dance, <laughs> but I I believe that really go downhill. So you're a property developer. You know that one of the things that a property needs is attractiveness, um, and that comes from having a certain flavor, having a certain distinctive personality, and mostly that comes from the restaurants, the shops, the. But we export movies and music. Uh, tourism, you know, there's a lot of uh, cultural aspect to what is important economically as, as well. So for a lot of different reasons, uh, I think we should be supporting the development and and thriving of artists. I agree with you. Community. And we're going to take our second break. And I heard you talking about cooperation among cooperatives. And we're going to come back and talk about that and, and our principles. But we'll be right back. Washington News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. everybody this is Vernon Oaks the program is everything cooperative we are working on and talking about all types of co-ops with Noemi Noemi how do you say your last name it rhymes with fish and with fence Gishpen. Gishpen. thank you okay so you have these rhymes so you know that people have trouble with it thank you yeah okay it's a tough one so if you want to start a co-op, you could contact Noemi and people in her organization by going to their webpage, cdi.coop, or send them an email at info at cdi.coop. That's right. You know, I, I've had people talking to me about starting, um, there's a group here wanting to start a food co-op. 
and I've mm-hmm. helped them a little bit, but I think I'm going to direct them to to you. They they did go up to Wisconsin last year for a training on how to start a food co-op. So they're on their way, but we might need might need some more support. So um, that's great. There's actually um, so there's a couple places they could also go for more resources. There's the Food Co-op Initiative. Uh, which I think is at fci.coop. Um, and uh, there's a, an organization just like ours that serves uh, Maryland and the D.C. area and uh, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey called Keystone Development Center. So they're at kdc.coop. Keystone Development Corporation. Yes, KDC. And um, it sounds like they maybe went to the conference that's called Up and Coming, Up and Running. Uh, It's a conference held in Indiana every year for a startup and and new food co-ops. Well, the group is out of Indiana, but they took it up to Wisconsin or Minnesota last summer. Yeah, that's where the Food Co-op Initiative is headquartered, so maybe that's why they had it up in Minnesota. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. One of our council members, uh, Vincent Gray, has put in legislation. He was the mayor, and now he's back to be a council member of Ward 7. That's where I live. And he he's put in the budget $300 million to build a hospital in Ward 8, which is lower economic, social economic, uh, folks live. We call it the neighborhood in most neighborhoods where African Americans live. So you've got higher health uh, issues there and with lower uh, assess, assess to health and healthy foods. So seeing that he has put in this, in the, well, he's put, he needs $336 million, so they're only $36 million short for the hospital, but they're also put in to build two stores and he wants to build these two stores, one in Ward 7 and one in Ward 8, because there's not that many stores either. There are food, particular food desert in Ward uh, 8. So, um, but he wants to have a Giants or Safeway or Harris Tea or somebody come and run these stores, you know, rent them out and run them after they build them. And I did testify, won't we do co-ops? Uh, and the mm-hmm. same, the same perhaps money of building two large grocery stores, he could probably build four uh, buildings for co-ops because they're about half the size of a conventional store and talked about the benefits of food co-ops over conventional stores. And it, it it always gets me is that if people can get the benefits of co-ops, it seems like everybody would want them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so we'll see how that goes, but I'm, I'm we're needing all the support and we might need somebody to come in and talk to the city council or Mr. Vincent Gray about the benefits. I did the best I could, but I'm not an expert in that world. So we might might need to get somebody to come in here and, and help us on that. But and you know, Ed Whitfield might be amazing. Uh, he's been helping with uh, the development of a food co-op. Where is it in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, called Renaissance? Um, and that's been a really intense project. Uh, people are definitely, you know putting a lot of work and effort into it. And the residents are really excited 
Uh, they had lost their grocery store some while back, and um, now they're going to be replacing it with a consumer co-op. I've had somebody on the program uh, talking about Renaissance, and I thought they opened with that report that I'd gotten when the person was on, but I don't think it was Ed. Whitfield. Yeah, I think they are. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they are open now. Yep. It took four, six, eight years. It took some time because of the training and getting people involved and getting people to know what a co-op is and the benefits of them. But a Piggly Wiggly or some grocery store just closed up, and they said it was it was doing good. People were using it. It seemed to have been making money, but corporate decided to close it for whatever the reason the corporate closed. Maybe it wasn't making enough um, return mm-hmm. on investment. Uh, so it just sat empty and idle, and they got working with the community, the the legislation, and uh, I think they got a thousand people paying a hundred dollars each um, to to show that their interest was there. And it looks like it's going to be a winner. And I want to get down there one day. I like North Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah no, okay. it looks great. I'll try to I'll try to find Mr. Ed Whitfield then. Yeah, I, I, I think Ed Whitfield would be able to convince anybody of anything. <laughs> okay. I, I really I want to go back to, to this artist thing because I like what you said, pursue their passion. Mm-hmm. And that's for anybody, but artists is what we're talking about. If people can really find what their passion is and then pursue that, mm-hmm. then earn a living. How do you earn a living? And it'll be interesting if you can earn a living pursuing your passion. But until you can earn a living doing your passion, you may have to find other ways to earn a living. That's right. And then living your life, whether that is where do you where do you live, where do you shop, uh, how do you get babysitting? And uh, I was also inter- I haven't had anybody on the show that that is a not just babysitting but daycare cooperative. That's two in the area that I know of: one in Greensbelt, uh, Maryland, and one on Capitol Hill, and it's located in a public school. And I did visit it, and it was a, a parent, it was a couple of parents there working, but one was a male, and it was interesting to watch him with all of the children. Uh, mm. So, so that, that how, how people can volunteer their time, particularly if you are, are a artist and you don't have a gig, you may have a lot of time. And you can either volunteer in a food co-op or your housing co-op or your daycare cooperative. So um, mm-hmm. I, it's a lot, and this is where I was talking about this cooperation among cooperatives is the sixth principle of the seven cooperative principles that the modern cooperative works under. And then the cooperative values I like a lot too. So I, I like yeah. the way you laid this out, just three things, pursuing passion, earning a living, living your life. Yeah, and as far as cooperation among cooperatives, you know, we we did talk about how whether it's a farmer co-op or an artist co-op, they may be multifunctional, like they may be helping people get the materials that they need and then market together and, you know, whatever it is that they need, the co-op might be the vehicle that helps organize it. But cooperation among cooperatives is really cool because then you have co-ops of different types that will do something together. So, we're looking at setting up connections. For example, we work up in the Northeast. So we've been working with the Somali refugee community in Lewiston, Maine. And they are used to farming from where they come from and have 
been through a number of years of training to know how to farm in Maine, but they need uh, assistance to put together uh, a co-op, which they've now done, that will be a, a farmer co-op to, to market together um, their, their produce. And what we're trying to help them do is actually do one of these, you know, regular deliveries of groceries, of, of uh, produce, vegetables, and so on, to one of our resident-owned communities, you know, people who live in shared housing. So in order to help build the cultural connection, too, between what they call new Mainers, you know, new people coming to Maine, and people who have lived there for quite a long time. New Mainers, okay. Yeah. How do the Somalians respond to this cooperative way of life? Um, well, to them, it it corresponds to a lot of their cultural values. So they understand um, very well the principles of cooperation. I think what's harder is that you know they have to set it up as a business in the American legal system and everything, and they don't have a, a written language. They have a spoken language. So they have to, you know, learn how to put things down on paper and get it, um, you know, bureaucratically, authoritatively settled that way. Um, but for the actual uh, cooperation piece of it, um, they understand that pretty well. So the, the farmer co-op is actually two men and two women, and the women participate as much as the men. Um, in fact, uh, one of the women members is the president, um, and they are participating with a, a larger group uh, that's assisting, uh, that's a sort of a self-help group among the Somali refugees um, that is, in fact, now putting together a child care co-op because that was one of the other needs in the community. So, and they're going to be looking at setting up a grocery store in town that will sell the produce of the farmer co-op. So they're really starting to build that cooperative ecosystem um, in order to meet their needs. That is excellent. And I, and I asked a question because what, what I have gotten on this program with Dr. Jessica gordon Nimhard, who wrote the book Collective Carriage and other people that – particular from NCBA CLUSA, that uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the African cultures, Latin cultures also, have this cooperative nature in, at the center of their culture. If you, if you look at the Native Americans, uh, if you look at the tribes, uh, uh, that, that people in the community, they had to work together, and everybody you know, had different things that they had to do in order for the community to survive, which is cooperative. And, I really believe at the heart of human beings is this cooperative nature, uh, even though we do espouse of in the U.S. and Western that the individualist, uh, the John Waynes of the world, although John Wayne didn't do anything by himself on any of those movies, or, nor did the Lone Ranger, but we espouse that. But we really, I believe, at the heart of our nature is this cooperative what do you think about that? When I'm presenting about artist co-ops, I like to put down three different little sayings. One is, if you want something done right, do it yourself, which a lot of people feel like, oh, I just got to get it done. Another thing is, uh, we're stronger together. We can do more together than we can alone, which is sort of the basic cooperative thought. And the third thing is, 
If you want to go fast, go alone. Go ahead, go home. If you want to go far, go together. Wow. And I think that that's, that's where you start to think about, oh, it's true. I could go faster on my own, but I couldn't get that far. So maybe I'll need to go a little bit slower, but I'm going to get farther if I work with other people. Well, we've got to take our third and final break. But when we come back, I talk about going as far piece. We'll come back and take this up again. We'll be right back. Information is power. No, Emmy just said before we took break, if you want to do something right, do it yourself. If we are stronger together, and if you want to go fast, you go by yourself. If you want to go far, we do it together. And what that brought my attention to, Naomi, is the failure rate of businesses. For cooperative, uh, 10% of cooperatives fail in five years where 90% of capitalistic businesses fail in five years. So you get in the cooperative world, you have 90% of the cooperative businesses are still around in five years, where only 10% of the capitalistic businesses are still around and survive after five years. It's slower to get them started. A lot more focus on education, which is the fifth principle. Uh, But with that education and knowing how to make decisions together, learning how to make decisions together. They make decisions that are long-term and not short-term. Too often in business, whether they're big or small, in in a capitalistic business, at least in my business school training, was what's your greatest return on investment? And more often than not, that's a short-term decision to affect stock prices or give bonuses or whatever. But co-ops make decisions long-term. Do you agree with that? Right. I do. I mean, I will say because we aren't surrounded by a cooperative culture, it does come harder to people to figure out how to make decisions together and to think long term. I think it, you know, it the education piece is really important because we're going against the grain. In some ways, I I agree with you that it's human nature, that absolutely every culture that you look at, if you look at how people do things traditionally, it's much more cooperative. But at the same time, we are influenced by a different sort of culture and people think, oh, we have to do things this way or that way. Or they simply have hierarchical habits where they might elect a president and then defer to the president all the time, as opposed to really trying to understand what goes into the decision and you know what role they have in, in helping to influence the decision. So it is more work, but it I agree with you that it absolutely leads to better results. Are you talking about every part of our society is hierarchical, and hierarchical means – you know, you vote for a president and then you have vice presidents and you, you come on down to the worker 
or in church as the pastor, and you come on down to the members, uh, board of trustees, and so forth. And in the home, in at least in the Christian doctrine, it is the male that's the head of the household, and he makes the decision to come on down. That doesn't necessarily work in American culture, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, so it's all hierarchical to me. I mean, most it's it's hard to go into an, any organization that I've been in, whether it's nonprofit or for profit, and that's not that hierarchy. But learning how to, you know, vote and get group decisions or consensus management, if not on everyday day-to-day decisions, at least on policy and major decisions, Mm -hmm. like how do you uh, divvy out the surpluses or profit at the end of the year, that people in the, if it's a worker cooperative, the workers get together and decide that, uh, and not the president or the board of directors or the trustees or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's not, it's against the grain. That's why I think it takes so long. And Noemi, the first month that I had this program, which is a little over three and a half years ago now, I, I was asking the question, why aren't there so many, why aren't there more co-ops? Mm-hmm. And uh, one lady from Greenbelt, uh, the Greenbelt uh, Housing Cooperative, said it's hard work. And mm-hmm. that was her answer. And my answer was that the capitalists do not want there to be co-ops. <laughs> I've been told I, that's a cynical look of it, but I do, when you look at how hard it is to get laws passed, uh, how HUD uh, doesn't like co-ops and they put all of their money in apartments, but if you go back and look at the history, the housing co-ops have outperformed the apartment buildings in every aspect. Quality of life, uh, generating financial uh, stability, social uh, wealth, financial wealth. Um, the housing stock is better, less less uh, going, less properties going under, less rents over the long term. Uh, I know we call it co-op fee or rents, but what whatever is a lot less. I mean, up to forty percent less over a twenty, thirty percent, thirty year time frame. 20-year, 30-year time frame. So every- I think with housing co-ops, it's, uh, it's very stark, actually, the difference um, that you'll see. Um, I, I've, I've heard it described a couple of different ways by people who work with housing co-ops. So one time I heard um, one of my colleagues describing a housing co-op to some people who were considering it, and he said, okay, well, when you're paying your rent now, your rent goes to pay for, you know, the owners, the mortgage on the building and uh, the upkeep and, you know, electricity, all the utilities and any services like plowing or whatever. And some profit for the owner, you know, so it's like all the different things plus profit. And if you had your own housing co-op, well, you'd still have to pay all the other things, you know, the mortgage on the property and the services and the utilities, but you wouldn't have to pay the profit. So already you're better off, but it's even more stark than that. I heard another co-op developer who helped form a housing co-op up in Lewiston, Maine, and he said the problem that they were having there is that property owners were actually taking their profit in some sense out of the the health and wellness of the residents by not doing the upkeep, not maintaining 
the, the properties in good order. People were having to suffer from mold, from fire hazard, you know, from rickety stairs. All of this was coming out of people's actual bodies. And when you think of it that way, I mean, it becomes abundantly clear that having the residents own the homes themselves, it's, it's much better economically and it's much better for their health. And the problem with the capitalist system is that it's based on a lot of theories about how everything works out for the best for everybody, but it doesn't really take into account the actual social situation that people find themselves in, where they may not be able to complain about, you know, bad services from their landlord. Um, you see this especially right now. I don't believe that illegal immigrants, you know, that category of person yes. is really unwanted in this country. They are People want them to be here, but they want them to be scared, disempowered, and unable to complain about their housing conditions, their working conditions, or any other treatment that they receive, because if they'll be scared to go to an authority because they could be deported. And so they can be treated in any way you know, wage theft, any any um, anything can be done to them, and they won't complain. And so it's, it's not about not having them here. It's almost so, a new slave. That's a little bit more. It's strong. definitely exploitation. <laughs> okay, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's I. It definitely is along that lines because. I don't think it's about keeping people out. People say, oh, they broke the law by coming here, but I don't think that that's the point. Um, but, you know, it, and it's a completely different mindset. I mean, I understand there's a lot of people who are capitalists who really think that, you know, businesses provide services and the profit motive, you know, motivates people to provide those services. And all that is true to a certain extent. But unfortunately, when you introduce the profit motive and you, you elevate that to the most important aspect of an enterprise as opposed to actually providing the services, then people start to cut corners and find shortcuts and go straight for the profit, cutting through the actual benefit to people. And that's where I think cooperatives have a much better setup because they are set up in order to provide services to the members and profit is something that they do it's generate. It's a byproduct as opposed to the main, uh, the main event. Exactly. On yeah, your it's like page, oxygen for an organism. Okay. On, on your webpage, you have I something mean, called cultivate.coop. Mm-hmm. What is that? So cultivate.coop is uh, a site where all different types of people and organizations can put resources to learn about co-ops. Uh, you can learn how to start a co-op. Uh, you can learn how different things work in a co-op. So it's a starting place. Uh, and if you have resources to share, it's actually a wiki, sort of, so it works a little bit like Wikipedia. And you can add your own resources. We only have another minute to go. I see you do have something called Ask Co-op Kathy, where you have questions you could... Go on to your webpage That's and ask. Right. Okay. I like your webpage, mm -hmm. by the way. CDI.coop. CDI.coop to get information about. And I'll be telling people as people call in about information. 
You have one minute to tell people whatever you would like to tell in your last last minute here. What would you like to leave people with? I just want to leave people with the thought that um, even though co-ops are hard work, like one of your first guests said, it's worth it. Um, you, you have to keep that in mind. If you want to go far, you have to go together. And in order to go together, it's going to take some work. But there is a lot more help and resources out there than there's ever been. So give it a try. Give it a try. Thank you very much, Naomi. It's an absolute pleasure. Everybody have a great week and live cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, and 95.9 FM.